This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The project replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Okay, Kev, we've got another wonderful podcast for our listeners today, and we're going to start with a story about a kitchen laundry room. Yeah, it's a two-part process we're going to be doing. Ah, Beautiful okay. kitchen and an unbelievable laundry room. Probably one of the nicest laundry rooms we're going to be doing in the past 10 years, but it's uh, going to be nice, bottom line. So Michael's on the show to talk about why he's doing everything and some of the reasons of his design ideas that we're going to talk of. And again, we're going to continue throughout the weeks that we're working on the project so we can bring him on. So what was one of the big reasons why you decided to do this? Well, the big reason I decided to do this, I suppose, is because my wife asked me to. (laughs) (laughs) Originally, this was not even contemplated. It was supposed to be a small home project renovation, was supposed to be renovating my home office during COVID. The small scale renovation of my office so that I could work from home in more comfort turned into somehow redoing the entire kitchen, laundry room, mudroom, family room of our house. As Kevin likes to say, happy wife, happy life. I guess I had to appease my better half in getting this home renovation done. One thing I tell you, we talked about is we think we really should leave that kitchen floor that you have because we're going to be starting to rip that tomorrow. And Dave's like, well, that's a lot of concrete we're going to be taking up. So we were thinking if we could maybe convince you just to leave that floor down. That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife does not like looking at it because she looks at it and says it just looks dirty. As clean as you can get it, the tiles have a look that my wife is not her cup of tea. And so I guess probably better to get rid of it just so I don't have to hear of it every day. Right. So, Ron, it's a 12 by 12 tile back probably... Laid down about 20 years ago. Yeah, an older style tile. Yeah, right. Yeah. Very outdated, peachy looking, grout's coming up, a few issues. So we're going to start ripping that tomorrow. So once we get all the rip done, we're going to be right on schedule. So I sent Michael the schedule about a week ago or so that every day what so far is going to be happening, cross our fingers, knock on wood, we've been on schedule. And we're going to be starting tomorrow in the next three days, ripping all the flooring out. One of the biggest parts that we have to communicate with is the flooring guy. So they're going to be doing all new flooring to match the existing flooring, but to get the color right, I believe they're going to be sanding the entire floor down and starting from scratch over on the first floor, the entire first floor. Yeah. So when we bought the house back in 2018, we replaced quite a bit of the first floor of the home. A lot of it was ceramic tile, the very large square ceramic tile that was not our cup of tea. Portions of the first floor were carpeted and my wife likes the look of hardwood. So we 
kind of ripped that all up and replaced it with hardwood and stained it a dark walnut color, which I guess was kind of the color at the time. And obviously in connection with this renovation, putting hardwood down, we'd like to try and maintain the consistency of the color and look throughout the entirety of the first floor. So that kind of necessitated us doing a little bit of resanding of the current floor that is already there, not a, a complete pull up, but just resanding it and trying as best as we can to get a close color match to make it all look as consistent as possible with the remainder of the first floor. So we're deep, deep into this and what we're going to be talking about step-by-step process of how we're going to be doing things. So Michael, anything that you could give so far from start to where you start up in the beginning about how to buy cabinets or what you can give people advice if they're going to start looking at a kitchen? Throughout this entire process, quite an education for me. This is certainly not my area of expertise. Just kind of doing the research and speaking with other people who have done home renovations, our friends, as well as Kathy, who is the designer that Kevin works with. Quite a lot of material for my wife and I to digest in terms of the various offerings out there. Many different companies offer cabinets. You can get one look of cabinet from tens, 20, 30 different manufacturers and sellers, but trying to understand the quality that's offered or the warranties that are offered and all that, it starts to make your head spin. So working with Kathy and the rest of her team, it kind of helped distill all that information down and make it a lot easier for us to understand. Someone such as myself, especially from a cabinet standpoint, I don't like to shortchange or do things that look cheap, especially when you're putting this amount of money into a home renovation. I certainly don't want to put that amount of money in and then have it end up looking like cheap cabinets. I guess that kind of (laughs) ended up in us going down the line of getting the most expensive cabinets, though that wasn't kind of the plan at the time. But, you know, we want something that looks good, is built well, is going to stand the test of time, is going to hold up, especially amongst the heavy use that my wife and I and our two kids are going to put it through, especially considering this this is our forever home. We don't have any plans to move. So we want to make sure it lasts a long time and built to last. Good testimony of these cabinets we're going to be putting in. They are the premium cabinets that we're going to sell. manufacturer? Omega. Now, also along with this, uh, I know you, t- you and I talked probably a few months ago about that, when you were talking about the, the siding job you had. And we're going to take a little break, a little bit of a horror story that you had so we can educate our listeners on how to not have it happen to them. So why don't we hang on tight and we'll jump right into the horror story. Okay, Kev, we're going to roll right into a horror story. Michael's got a horror story, too. What could have possibly happened here? Well, Mike, why don't you tell your story? We bought our house back in 2018, and, you know, it's one of these typical houses. It was about 20, 25 years old at the time. Certainly, from our standpoint, looked like it was well-built, looked like everything was in order. And obviously, you kind of go through your typical home inspection, stucco inspection. This was a home with stucco. Nothing on its face appeared to be an issue for us. But obviously, doing the stucco inspection, it turned out that the stucco itself was fine. However, the windows had significant rot you know, the majority of the windows in the house, you know, you could take a screwdriver pretty much and put them right through the molding all around most of the windows in the house. So while the stucco wasn't necessarily an issue, the windows were. All of the windows in the home needed to be replaced. And we have a house with quite a few windows. And as Kevin knows, we have a a one wall in our family room, which pretty much the entirety of the wall, floor to ceiling, and it's about 20 foot ceiling, all of its windows. (laughs) It's quite a bit of money to have to put in just for windows itself. But obviously putting in the windows and then having to 
restucco around them while doable may not result in a look to make it look like nothing had been done. We decided, given all the things we'd heard about stucco and the problems with stucco, especially in the Northeast, that we wanted to go ahead and since we were doing the windows at this time, might as well just go ahead, rip the stucco down and just go ahead with hardy board on the three sides of our house. Did you have some problems with the installers themselves? No issues with the installers themselves. The work they did when they, I guess, when they did the work, it was quite good. The company that we used was a relatively newer company. Although we had kind of good word of mouth experiences with them, the, I guess, the job wasn't necessarily as organized as it should have been. There were a lot of workers going to and from, in and out of the job people being hired and fired and the job which should have taken maybe a couple of weeks ended up lasting a couple of months just given delays and lack of manpower and this was all going through the time my wife and I were having our first child so it was a high stress environment to try and get us into a house that was you know had all the windows done all the siding on and just trying to manage that when I'm not a foreman I'm this is not my area of expertise so it was certainly a high stress type of situation for us. Yeah, I can see that happening with anybody that's getting work done and just delaying things. That's why I said with us, we're trying to do our best because Dave and I are the ones physically doing the work. So it makes it a little bit easier. So at least you're through that and uh, we're starting the process with the kitchen. Again, if you have any questions, uh, we're there every day. So Dave and I are going to be there every day and we should be able to walk through this and uh, hopefully it goes very smoothly, but it has so far. And listen, stay tuned because we've got an old friend of your valuable home coming up, Donna Butts from Generations United with a couple of really interesting stories about how generations work together to have older folks make the best of life. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Hey, Kev, we've talked many times about the importance of curb appeal and the value quality products add to exterior home improvements. Provia fiberglass entry doors and vinyl replacement windows add that value. And for huge impact, curb appeal, and value, there's Provia vinyl and polypropylene siding. Yep, the super polymer formulation of Provia siding reflects heat and protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup for lasting color and value. Provia siding comes in traditional, insulated, and decorative profiles, all with the look and texture of real wood. People often stop and ask me about my Provia Cedar Max siding. I've actually gotten siding jobs that way. Okay, so how about colors and styles? My customers love the extensive palette of popular colors, including dark and bold hues. New colors for 2023 include Miss Gray, Harvest Red, and Pine. And Provia offers a wide variety of styles from clapboard to Dutch lap, board and batten, and new Harbor Mill shingle and shake siding. Harbor Mill is reminiscent of traditional rough-sawn shingle and staggered hand-split cedar shake. Both profiles are modeled after genuine cedar pieces using highly accurate laser scanning to ensure all the detail and texture of real cedar wood grain. Harbor Mill siding was designed with the installer in mind, incorporating built-in features that aid in a more efficient, hassle-free installation. The lightweight, rigid panels are easier to handle and include locks, guides, and marks for the installer. That makes for a quicker installation and beautiful curb appeal. Yup, and you can see it all and have the colors and styles work with Provia entry doors and vinyl replacement windows at Provia's fabulous website, provia.com backslash YVH. Check out Provia's design center on the website and experiment with their exterior home visualizer to see how all the different styles, colors of Provia doors, windows, siding, stone, and roofing work together. Once again, Provia delivers on its mission to serve by caring for details in ways others won't. Visualize the possibilities at Provia.com backslash YVH. 
Okay, Ron, it is time for the featured segment, and I believe we've got one of my favorite guests coming back on. Let's welcome back Donna Butts, Executive Director of Washington, D.C.-based Generations United, great organization. Donna is here today to share inspirational stories of people across generations helping each other give life to the fullest. But first, when Donna was last in your valuable home, we talked about people in the same family from different generations living under the same roof in an English suite. Kev, you've experienced that, right? You I did, one. Yeah. absolutely. You also have another one in the work right now, don't you? Yeah, we've been doing a bunch of them, two to three a year now. And we've got actually three in the hopper. We're going to be starting in the springtime when the weather breaks. Well, Donna, we just interviewed Jessica Lass, Deputy Chief Economist and Vice President for Research for the National Association of Realtors. And we learned that their 2023 profile of home buyers and sellers turned up a significant amount of that kind of activity in Wall Suites. Whatever you're doing out there, it's, it's catching on. Well, you're very kind. Kevin and Ron, it's so good to be back. But you're very right. And you know, Kevin is such an expert, both because he, he lives in a uh, multi-generational household, but because he builds them. He's such an expert in that area. But we really have seen an increase and a sustained increase in the number of families that are living together under one roof. I just came back recently from the National Association of Realtors Conference, where I was on a panel about multi-generational living, intergenerational living. And I, I think the, you know, the comment that I really tried to stress is it's here to stay and it's consumer driven. It's what, you know, it makes sense to so many people and so many families. So I really appreciate, Kevin, what you're doing and Ron, what you're doing to, to help people understand that this is, it's not going back to the past. It's going ahead to the future to something is better for us. I think we've got some exciting news, too. I enjoyed what you sent me, the links that you sent me, to share about an intergenerational learning network, IHLN. Yeah, the purpose, the reason we launched it is because there is growing interest in a whole variety of intergenerational housing and community living. And so we decided to launch a learning community. We started last year, and it's been really, really helpful as far as it, people giving people a forum to talk about the housing that they're either currently developing or running or living in, to learn from each other, to share ideas, but also to share inspiration because people are thinking about it and to hear some of the concrete examples is, is really helpful. So our goal is to really support and encourage people in this type of intergenerational housing. I think one of the models that I just loved, we had a presentation recently from One Flushing, which is in Queens, New York. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it has about 234 units. And it's families and who are low to moderate income living with older adults with seniors. And they didn't isolate the seniors on one floor of this development. They have at least one or more senior apartments on every floor. And they built all of the supportive things like the laundry room or the community room. They put them up on the penthouse so that it's a it's desirable space. It's where people can go. They can mix. They can mingle. They can garden. They can Great do their idea. laundry. They can have the community. But I love the fact that they put it on the roof. And they're also primarily full of a variety of Asian backgrounds. And so they really paid attention to how they designed it to make sure that it was welcoming and culturally appropriate. And I'm really thrilled that Dorinda Schubert is my co-chair of the network, and she's the head of Bridge Meadows, which is an intergenerational community you may have heard of in Portland, Oregon, that was built for foster and adoptive families and older adults. So she's just brilliant when it comes to this kind of development and design. 
Well, I would imagine that IALN can advise about all forms of intergenerational housing. Can you give our listeners an overview of them, starting with home sharing, co-housing, English suites we just talked about, and band family housing? Sure. Mm -hmm. Home sharing, what we advocate for is intergenerational home sharing, and that's oftentimes when a college student and an older adult will be roommates, basically, housemates. Oftentimes, it's an older adult that may need just a little bit of extra financial assistance or somebody to walk the dog or just keep them company. And for the student, it generally involves less rent in exchange for perhaps a couple of engagements with the older adult. But it's a win-win in terms of helping older adults stay in their own homes and then helping students not accumulate as much debt. There's home sharing among all different age groups. Some people may remember Golden Girls and, you know, things like that where it's people of the same age. But I think the intergenerational home sharing is really uh, something that makes so much sense and is really inspiring. And then there's co-housing. And co-housing is, is different than an in-law suite, and it's usually unrelated people who are, uh, for example, home in Chicago where it's older adults and there's a young family that may live in the house with them. So they share, they they co-house. And then there's, of course, the under one roof, the multi-generational families and housing, which are the, you know, the number one hottest selling housing design on the market now. And then grand families where grandparents and other relatives are raising children. We did a report on grand family housing back in 2019 and identified about 19 that were in development around the country. But there's tremendous interest in this because it's housing with supportive services for the families. And I'm excited because next month, Housing and Urban Development, HUD, is going to be uh, releasing a notice of funding opportunity that will provide $15 million for development of this type of housing model. They'll be competitive. It's a bit. It's a lot of work, but it, it helps to provide a little bit of the funding to see that. Do you know of any major developers around the country who offer in-law suites as options? Yes, there are a couple. A Lanier is a big one, and that's the one that we probably hear from and interact with the most. But there's many developers that are doing this or looking at it. Because, again, it's consumer-driven. It's what people want. The other area we're seeing growth is putting senior housing on college campuses. There's a new one that just opened up in Purchase, New York. It's a New York State System College and a private developer that built the, the senior housing. There's one in Arizona. Those models are really getting a lot of interest, too. You just released the 2023 State of Grand Families report. What are the the top five takeaways from that report? Well, that report was really focused on mental health and wellness. It really called out the fact that as a country, our children and adolescents are in a mental health emergency, and it's a crisis for people of all ages. A lot of it's overflow or backlash from COVID when people were really isolated. So there's a lot of mental, the mental health issues and the mental health access to services and supports haven't kept up. And it's even more acute in grand families where systems and providers aren't used to necessarily supporting the families. I think what's one of the trends that's exacerbated it is that the grandparents who report their children's substance use or abuse is what caused them to take the grandchildren in. It rose from 21% to over 40% um, in, in 2019. And then I think what's really uh, an important factor is 
that in the states where there's the highest opioid prescribing rate or there was the highest opioid prescribing rate, we also find the highest number of grandparents raising grandchildren. So the correlation between the opioid epidemic, pandemic, and grandparents needing to step up is really there. So I think it's important as states are thinking about their opioid settlement dollars to remember grand families and think about the children and the caregivers' mental health and provide services for them. Yeah, who's stepping in and filling the gaps? The grandparents. Overall mission of Generations United for our listeners who may have missed the last time you were on and maybe don't fully understand what your organization does. Our mission is to improve the lives of children, youth, and older adults through intergenerational collaboration, public policies, and programs for the enduring benefit of all. So we really look at programs, practices, space, and place, and how we can connect generations rather than artificially segregate them from each other. And you do a great job of it, too. And of all the information you sent me to get ready for this interview, two things really stuck out to me. Two organizations who take care of their own. You were in L.A. recently, I believe, to review a nationally recognized intergenerational volunteer program that was recognized by Generations United, and the program is conducted by the Motion Picture and Television Fund, MPTF. So what is the mission of MPTF? The mission is really to support people in the industry who have retired. What's fabulous is they have a 20-acre campus in Woodland Hills, California, and it's really a continuing care retirement community in that they have independent living, they have assisted living, they have memory care, they have a lot of group activities. There's a lot of volunteerism that is underway there, both people in the industry as well as young people, next generation people. There there are a lot of people who are engaged. So really their goal, uh, I think this is when Mary Pickford started a hundred years ago, said, you know, we take care of our own, we see a need and we fill it. And so that's what they do there. There's just such compassion and caring they have what they call their angel cards program because there was a resident once who it was their birthday and they didn't receive a single card. So now they make sure they have volunteers who make cards for every resident for their birthdays, for holidays, for just no reason at all. And they call it their angel card program. They also have passing the torch, which we honored with our programs of distinction that really has older adults who are in the industry passing on and mentoring younger people who are interested in working in the entertainment area. So they tutor, they mentor, they do things like that. And then they also have what they call their instant film festival, where once a year they put together intergenerational teams that make a short film. It all takes place over the course of a day. They make a short film, they edit it, and then they get to screen it at the theater that's there at the home. That is a very cool idea. MPTF. They were named as a program of distinction by Generations United. I think that's a very important thing to mention. And what is the process that would lead one to get, or one's organization, to get that distinction? About 10 years ago, we really felt that we needed to sort of create the good housekeeping seal for the intergenerational field for people who value these practices and really know what make quality programs. So we developed the Program of Distinction Award. And basically, it's given to programs that apply. It's judged by outside experts, their applications are, and they have to meet various criteria that make a high-quality intergenerational program, everything from community engagement to evaluation to to really high-quality interaction between the generations. So the program of distinction, we now have over 30 program of distinction 
recognitions. We also, though, this year started something called a, a program of merit. And I think that's important because for, sometimes for a small program, they may be a really, really good program, but they don't have the ability to do the kind of high-quality evaluation that might be needed or they might have a something that, that they're not quite able to do compared to maybe a well, more well-funded program. So the programs of merit recognize really some outstanding work that's being done that they don't quite make the level of program of distinction. Programs I think about is in um, a small town in Kansas where it's school greeters. It's older adults who greet every child in that community on every Monday that they go to school. That's what they do. They say, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Come in, come in. And then once they've greeted every child, they have coffee and they, they go about their business. So it's a really simple intervention, but it's really meaningful. Is the entertainment industry as a whole a standout in taking care of its own and a model for intergenerational support? You know, I think in many ways it is. I think it's because people realize that it's not it's not just the person who's in front of the camera. There is a whole community of people behind the camera. When you think about the jobs in the entertainment industry, it takes everybody to make a high-quality show, film, whatever. So it's not just the stars. It's not just the people that you see. And I think that people are grateful to the folks who make the art possible, who make their work possible. So they do give back. I mean, when I visited and when I look at the the list of supporters they have, and the the week after I was there, the actress that plays Barbie was going to go called Bingo. They have an uh, incredible assortment of very talented people and current people who really look out. So I think they value the community and the fact that we're interdependent. None of us can do what we do by ourselves. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? You're talking about a creative industry. that's It's based in creativity. The whole thing is based in creativity. And I'm sure they come up with a lot of creative ways to make uh, intergenerational relationships work. They really do. They have a next-gen program where when I was there, they had uh, junior talent agents from a firm that came over to volunteer so they could have experience with the older adults. They do some wonderful programming there. They do a lot of interviewing and mentoring and, and coaching on uh, in the industry. They review films together um, as intergenerational teams. They do a lot. And let's talk about another link that you sent me, and that's Catholic Charities. I believe they also have a history of both providing for seniors and enlisting seniors for activities like tutoring and addressing community needs. So it's another type of organization that really takes care of its own, right? Oh, I agree with you. There's one in San Antonio, Texas, for example, Catholic Charities, that has a program called Adopt a Senior, where it's basically a friendly visit sort of program where volunteers adopt an older adult that may not have family near them or may not have other generations in their lives. And they take care of many of the needs. And I think that's not uncommon among many of the faiths, uh, the faith-based organizations. And uh, when you look at a number of the, the communities that take care of each other, whether it's aging clergy, aging sisters, or people who have been in members of the congregation or the temple for, for a long time, they really do take care of each other. You know what I really like about what you do? Putting young people together with aging people. Young people can learn from the aging people based on life experience. 
And the aging people can learn from young people about things like texting, (laughs) technology. How do you make all that work? It drives me crazy sometimes. I live it every day. (laughs) Between my in-laws living there, my daughter's up. Just last night she was up there showing my father-in-law how to clear out his phone because he has so many open tabs on there, how to do emails or work on different programs. And it's the same thing reverses when we're having dinner. We We eat practically three, four nights a week together. Uh, we pray together. We do a lot of stuff together. That's just really family-oriented, and it's really a blessing to have this. Well, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of aging people don't have that. I mean, they live by themselves, and uh, I certainly don't ever want to do that. And they don't have the benefit of somebody helping them. Donna, correct me if I'm wrong. We feel isolated, totally isolated. You feel like your value on this earth is gone. You've really touched on the heart, which is, and especially during COVID, the, the two age groups that felt the most isolated and the most lonely were older adults and young people. The solution is to connect those groups. Because just what you're talking about in terms of technology and skill, uh, it might be the only time a young person's ever told they have something valuable to give is when they're teaching you how to text or they're teaching you something like that. They realize they have a skill, they have value. And for older adults, the same. They realize they have purpose, they have, a, they have a, an ear, they have a history, they have something they can share with another generation. Yeah, and they can share the history of the United States, which... You know, a lot of young people, if you ask them about Pearl Harbor, probably don't have a clue about it, about why it happened or when it happened or how it happened. And all that knowledge is right under your roof if you have somebody older living with you. And I'm sure you see that every day. Every day we see it. Every day, yeah. I think that is an enormous value point that your organization offers right there. Well, I appreciate that because it is. It's such a treasure to have living history, to have someone who can talk about the experiences that they had, the experiences our country's had. And also, as my aunt, who's in her 90s now, said about having her, her granddaughter live with her, she's my window into today's world. She helps me know what's going on, helps me understand what's going on today. Donna, if someone wants to start an organization, start a program, and needs to get in touch with the organization, how would they do that? Yeah, I would encourage people to go to gu.org for Generations United, just gu.org. And it's rich with resources. There's also some technical assistance, webinar opportunities, things like that. Sign up for Generations This Week, our electronic newsletter. It's sort of the news of the field. And connect and get started. Dip a toe, uh, whether it's talking to somebody of a different generation next door to you or getting into a full-blown program, but it's worth it. Keep on doing what you're doing because you are really making a difference. Uh, I appreciate that. And it's great to hear you and to hear Kevin's voice again. And glad that you folks do what you do. Thank you. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing. Products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship. The Provia way. That's this week's podcast. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 